Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. FM 104's Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Long. It is Room 104, and one of the questions we want to answer this evening is, if you are a nice person, are you going to finish last? Um, usually, I would say yes, in most ways. Financially, I suppose we're speaking here as well. But um, isn't that whole thing with, like, nice guys finish last? Do they, though? But they probably do. The nicer a guy is, what does a girl do in the end? Do nice girls finish last? Yeah, probably, actually, yeah. I would say I finish last all the time. <laughs> Not in that way. Okay, Careful calm now. down. Family-friendly show. No, it is definitely not. So to kind of probe this question a little bit more, when we're defining what nice means, when we're defining what last means as well, and maybe what you can do if you feel you're too nice and you need to become more of a, a mean person. I don't know if that's the opposite of nice or whatever. Uh, Sandra Matt, psychologist, is joining us on the line now. Sandra, how are you? Hi there. Good. How are you doing? Good. Uh, maybe work. Well, no, I don't have to worry about a thing, do I? No, you definitely <laughs> don't. But in fairness, I do. Like, you often say I'm a yes person. Yeah, it's not even that you're a yes person. I just don't think you know how to say no. No, I don't. To, to a lot of things, and it's fine. So, Sandra, when we're talking about, quote-unquote, nice people, how do we define nice from, let's say, a psychological point of view? It's a great question, because I do think it somewhat deviates from the perception that we have of nice guys in general. So the way that we, at least as personality psychologists, think of nice people is along the personality dimension of agreeableness. So those are people who are trusting, who care about their social relationships, who are empathetic, so those are all parts of the personality trait of agreeableness, which really is much more focused on a general tendency of people being nice, not necessarily me being nice in the moment or me being mean in the moment. Right, okay, yes, I've heard that before. So yeah, as agreeableness, you, you don't want to cause any problems. You're a people pleaser, for want of a better yeah. word. Would that be right? Yeah, to some extent. Yeah, if you care about your social relationships, it's much more likely that you also try to please other people. So that means that in return that you're going to probably be broke because you're going to be buying them <laughs> stuff all the time. <laughs> Yeah, so the focus of the research that we've been doing uh, is essentially looking at the links between agreeableness and financial outcomes. So, like, how much do people save? How much debt do they accumulate? How often do they default on paying back on, on loans? And different types of financial behaviors that are indicative of how healthy someone is when it comes to their finances. And that's where we see that people who are nicer, they also tend to have fewer savings, higher debt, and a higher likelihood of defaulting. What I found very interesting was the more agreeable you are as a child, even that in the long term like when you get into being an adult and you're working you know you could be earning the same amount as somebody else but your personality trait would probably mean that you're more likely to be in debt than your friend yeah so even if we look at what is the personality of people around 16 17 and we then predict their financial outcomes some 25 years later 
we still see effects of that personality coming through and carrying over. Why is that? Why does I would have thought someone who is agreeable would never want to piss off the bank? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and his yeah. Why are these agreeable people <laughs> finding themselves with more yeah. debt and more and a, and a worse credit history? I think that's probably the most interesting question. Also, that was the one that we were probably most excited about. So one of the dimensions that we measured in our study was the extent to which people care about money um, and the extent to which people value money. And it seems to be the case that agreeable people simply value relationships more than they value money. And I think this is actually the one thing that we can also help to change this relationship because to some extent you want agreeable people in a society, right? Those are the people that are the glue of society, that hold society together, but they seem to be worse off when it comes to their finances. So one of the problems that is driving the effect is that the way that society thinks about money right now is if you care about money, you don't really care about relationships. And if you care about relationships, you shouldn't care about money. However, if you think about the fact that your own finances also impact all the people around you, your family, your friends, there is a way of saying, well, if I manage my money well, that benefits my family. If I mismanage my money, that is also going to hurt my family. So I think it's kind of breaking up this false dichotomy of if you're a nice person, you shouldn't care about money. Irish people, I would say, as a group psyche, we hate the topic of money. We can't stand it. I, I think a lot of us feel as if we don't deserve money. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, oh, stop, yeah. put that away, blah, blah, blah. So we have a real issue, I think, traditionally with, with regards to money. And like that, I think if you're interested or you're like money or you're concerned about money, I don't know, something up with you. Yeah. You're evil. And we are very, most people are agreeable. If you go out to a pub, for example, a lot of people will offer to get you a round e- of drinks. Except or... your one cheap mate. And we no. all have one cheap mate who There's will never one. put their hand in their pocket. <laughs> and they're usually fine. And but... I think that's what that's what's happening is like agreeable people are the ones to offer to pay for the bill to pay for lunch to pay for coffee so they're the ones who just step in and kind of try to be generous to their friends and the, the, the sad thing that we know from other research is that like agreeable people typically get the least reward for doing that so if we have an agreeable friend who just happily offers to help us move from one apartment to the other we just don't give them as much credit because they don't seem to be inconvenienced at all whereas if we have some a friend who's like making a big deal of it we give them more credit and we are less likely to ask them again. So it's, there's this downside of being agreeable that if we don't help them like out in return, they're just going to to um, be at a disadvantage when it comes to finances and being exploited by their social circles. Okay, that's really interesting, Sandra. Now listen, myself and Saoirse and one or two other people here in the office always go for coffee in the evening before the sh- show and Saoirse never pays. <laughs> so what would that say about her and how would I get her to maybe take her wallet out of her bag every once in a while? It's probably good with her finances, so that seems to be a oh, I'm not. the upside. No, I'm absolutely not, to be honest, Sandra. I actually, I'm the worst with money. No, that's a lie. I'm way too generous. That's what I'm interested in moving forward, what I'm currently working on. I think what we want to get to is a point where we simply understand what is motivating people to save money, for example. So if you're a nice person, like, how can I get you to think about your family? If I get assumed that you put some money to the side, in like half a year, a year, you can take your family on an amazing trip. Or if you're extroverted, how can I kind of get this image in your head that says, if you save some money, right now in half a year you can go on this amazing exciting trip with friends and have a fabulous time so i think the same way that we think about personalizing advertising or personalizing product recommendations we could also think about how can we personalize our our spending habits or saving habits in in that case now is this learned behavior or is this something that develops over time like are you kind of born being this really generous agreeable person or do we learn this through parents or friends or what is it 
quite a big genetic component to personality. So think about half the variants that we can see or the individual differences can be explained by people's genetics. But then there's still a component of how do you grow up? How do your parents raise you? Um, in what which social context do you do grow up? What are your friends like? So there is a tendency to be born with a specific type of personality, but it doesn't mean that there's no way in which you can change it, right? Even if you have a specific personality, the behaviors that you show when it comes to spending, for example, is something that you can, can certainly change. One of the things, because I was terrible, terrible, terrible with money uh, for years, yeah. and, and I always had these grandiose ideas of, oh no, I remember like when I was 17, I'm going to be a millionaire by 19 and move out, right? So it's fine. Yeah, it's grand. Big, big ideas, but didn't realize that the day-to-day management of your money was key. Yeah. <laughs> and, and didn't do that. And, and I found the one thing that, that changed for me in the last couple of years was uh, getting fired, losing your job, and having absolutely no savings, no money, no backup plan, no emergency fund, and having to move back home and do all that stuff. And that was the, the kick up the hole that I, I needed to kind of go, right, next job I get, I need to nail this because I think if something like that happens to you and you're not in a good financial position, that can amplify the stress of the situation. Yeah. You know what I mean? It makes it worse. I'm not saying money yeah. makes all your problems go away, but it can help make some of them go away. So maybe if you're working with people in the future, just make them lose their job and uh, they'll completely <laughs> turn things around. Beautiful. I'm going to integrate that into, into my next study. Uh, Getting people fired. To some extent, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's like, I think we, we just to some extent mindlessly spend money like we don't really think about what we spend it on and there's like plenty of research that shows at very low levels of income actually having money predicts happiness and life satisfaction because as you say not having any money just makes your life so much harder but then it levels out really quickly so if you make more than than the average household it doesn't make you that much happier. Like, billionaires are not happier than, than the average person. And I think that comes back to the fact that oftentimes we just spend it on something. We don't really think about, like, what is it that we actually want to spend it on? How could we spend it on things that match our personality, for example, which, mm. based on my research, shows that that makes you happy. And I think the same way that we think about personality-matched spending when it comes to spending money, we could also think about personality-matched ways in which we can help people save money. So then, on, on obviously, the, the worst the worst trait to be or that has the biggest negative impact on your money is being very very agreeable is that mean then obviously the opposite that the least agreeable people are the best and most successful financially yeah that's what it means and to some extent it, it kind of makes sense right if you think about the low agreeableness and um, low levels of agreeableness means that you're competitive that you're very critical so you could see people who are much more critical and competitive going for example into negotiations and pushing harder or kind of again not wanting to pay for or cover the cost for, for someone else. So to some extent, that's the flip side of it, yes. So I suppose, you know, if you're really agreeable, it even comes back, yeah, like negotiations. If you're going in for a new job and someone offers you the first offer, an agreeable oh, yeah. person will be like, oh, yes, thanks very much. Sorry, no, my bad. Mm-hmm. I'll give you, you know, rather yeah. than a disagreeable person who might be, have the balls to say, no, I, I'd like more. Yeah, so that's what we see. I teach negotiations and that's exactly what we see. So we see that agreeable people, they don't feel as entitled. So they are much less likely to initiate a negotiation. And then they're also much less assertive and, and pushy when it comes to that because they feel grateful for whatever they get and um, so again it's like just a way of how can you frame it as something the advice that we give to women for example or people who are agreeable is can you frame it as just asking for something
something which makes it easier? Or can you think of in the negotiation who else asking for a higher salary would benefit? So if you ask for a bit more, that benefits your friends because you can take them out for lunch. That benefits your family because that then helps them and you could kind of give them more gifts or whatever you want to do with the money. So just thinking about when it comes to money, how it also benefits other people and so that it has the social caring component, I think could go a long way in helping agreeable people achieve better outcomes. Like I've always done that as well. I've, if I've you know, ever gone into ne- negotiate a job or whatever, yeah. it's always like, listen, my missus is very expensive. She's This money isn't for me. This you, is really for her. You <laughs> did that in an interview when we were both in it together, actually, about <laughs> yeah. a job that was yeah. going. And, and I was like, it's not about me, lads. I do it for free. But unfortunately, I can't go back home to her and say we're doing this for free now because yeah. otherwise, ooh. And it kind of takes the, the, the edge out of the room a little bit. Yeah. So I d- didn't realise you teach negotiation, Sandra, as well. Do you have any, like, what would be one or two key tips that you'd have? I know everyone's situation is probably different and, you know, it's not easy to give a broad, general piece of advice. But how can people yeah. get more money out of their lives? What are some good negotiation tips? I think the main tip that I would give to all of my students is try to step in the shoes of your counterpart. Like, can you see the negotiation from their perspective? Can you understand what is it that they want to achieve? And is there any way for you to solve the problem in a way that doesn't cost you much? And that goes beyond this pure haggling where we talk about salary or how much you're going to pay for a specific car and it's just like a back and forth. But most negotiations is something that you could put on the table. Like if you enter a salary negotiation, for example, the employer might want you to start sooner and that doesn't matter much to you. So you could say, okay, I'm happy to make a concession here. I'm happy to start sooner. I'm happy to take few vacation days, whatever it is, and then get something that you care about in return. So really thinking about what creates value for the other side. How can you solve that in a way that doesn't cost you much? That's very good top tips there. And what about being too agreeable? So if there's anyone listening here that just is too nice. I'm highly agreeable. So I found it (laughs) extremely difficult. Yeah, and I'm teaching negotiations. It's a bit ironic. But I always felt it extremely difficult to ask for more. And I think the one thing that really helps me is to think of, like, if this was my sister, so I have a younger sister that I love um, very much. So I asked myself, if this was my younger sister, what would I recommend to her? Would I tell her that she deserves to ask for a higher salary or whatever it is that she's asking for? Or maybe that's a situation where actually she's already getting a pretty good deal. And if my answer to that question is, I would recommend to my sister to negotiate for something then I also try to follow it myself that's good advice that's a good yeah. idea because we're always yeah we, we always give brilliant advice to other people don't we yeah. you should go in there and tell them to show up and blah 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 well, but when it comes to you you're like oh, okay I'll do that for free I'm so yeah. sorry uh, <laughs> I'll <laughs> okay. go home and cry yeah, instead yeah, yeah. And then, but, but it's worse because if you are I can find if you are too agreeable and you're to say yes to everything you wind up getting real resentful after a while because oh, yeah. you know you're being taken advantage of and yeah. you don't feel as if you're being paid so you wind up hating your job over small things like that instead of kind of going through the awkward phase of no listen I, uh, this is this isn't good enough but listen Sandra there was a ton of really useful information in there um, do you have a website or would recommend where people can either follow you or the work you do or anything like that online so I do have a website it's sandramatsat.com um, I also have two TED Talks on YouTube on the topic so if anyone's interested in those brilliant thank you so much for your time thank you have a good day hi I'm Daniel founder of Pretty Litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.